rather shake up or care if you've let all the fans down. Can we not lock this? It's a fact. I am not playing mind games. I am talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicci, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions on anything. Uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you. Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Now you're very welcome along to Team 33 and a call here with you up until about 10 o'clock this evening. So about a year ago on the show, I spoke to a guy called Larry Mahoney who had written a book called Let the Players Play, which was all about uh, getting young players involved in football and how to coach them and how to coach them properly, essentially, and, and essentially letting the players play, which was the basis of the book. And I'm delighted to say that Larry is on the line with me again because He's got another book coming out this time, sort of following on from the one before. So, Larry, thanks for joining me again. Great to talk again, and thanks for thanks for having me. No, it's great to have you. So, again, it was about a year ago since we last spoke, and you had just written this book about uh, coaching in Ireland and coaching young players in particular. So, we might just do a refresher on that before we get into the new stuff and and what uh, what you're writing about now. So, just a brief reminder of what let the players play was actually about and what you were aiming with. Uh, yeah, with it, it was, it, it's done very well, by the way. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted with the response. It, it, it The book did very well. Um, it, it was basically, a, the message was to coaches of young players that how to coach in games. So rather than using drills, rather than doing long, rather than doing a lot of fitness work, that the message was that most learning takes place in the game. And what the book was, was a guide to to beginner coaches or, you know, even coaches with a little bit of experience on how to actually coach in the small side of games. And a lot of that was getting them on the ball and allowing them to make their own decisions. Yeah. So the whole idea, that, that was the, the huge message in the book. What, what I tried to do was to give the, the coaches the ability to question properly, you know, and I know questioning in coaching terms in the coaching world, there's a lot of lip service paid to the idea of questioning players so that they can work things out themselves. But what I actually did in the book was to give the coaches the questions to ask. So a beginner coach could go from, from right from the very start where they're playing two on two all the way up to four on four with all the right questions to ask. And obviously the responses that he's looking for from the players there. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we we don't want to rehash the entire thing because it is available on a, on a separate podcast that people can go and listen to. But in general, what were you hoping to gain from this? What what was your main aim for it in terms of well, player it development was, it was, in Ireland? It was and... basically to help coaches, coaches, and probably parents as well. And that you know, they they literally it was a step. It was a step-by-step guide. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit more. You know, it it, it took them right from the start. From my, I have a lot of experience now, too many years of experience. So, you know, I, I think I can easily, well, not easily, but I think I can predict from all the kids that I've worked with over the years, what first is going to happen and what next is going to happen. And so what the way the kids will react to this little bit of information, what way the kids will react. So again, it was, it was trying to arm the coach with the necessary answers to the problem, to the playing problems that the, that the players would face 
so that he could give them the solutions or help them rather than get and again i'm using the wrong i fall into the old trap of, of using the wrong terminology not that he could give them the solution but he could help them to find the solutions for themselves yeah almost giving them the tools to figure out the game yeah, well, themselves and, them, and give them a better you know, a, a broader understanding of the game yeah yeah and i acknowledged i acknowledged all the time in that book that you know sometimes you, you might get to where you want with just one question but other times it it, it, it can be like maybe four or five questions before you come to the answer that you want to do you know because as mm-hmm. adults we we always want to give the kids the answers we think that's our role in life, you know, on the football field and away from the football field. That's what we think our role in life is. But it, it, of course, we know nowadays that it's better that the kids use their own brains to work things out for themselves. Yeah. One of the things that we spoke about that really stuck with me at the time was the silent sidelines. That is obviously an issue all throughout uh, underage football when you're talking about p- parents not only uh, positively encouraging, but negatively encouraging uh, the referee or the players. But one of the things that you mentioned to me uh, was that you didn't want the parents saying anything to the kids, be that pass the ball to him, he's free, because ultimately that's not really the player making the decision then, the kid making the decision for themselves, seeing that there's a guy open and passing it to them on their own accord. It's because their parent or another parent is telling them. Um, you might just uh, sort of explain that and why you think that's uh, that's something that you would avoid for parents on the sideline. Again, and it's the it's the same big idea. The big idea is that we want the kids making decisions for themselves. So I know at, at the risk of rehashing what we spoke before, we got a, we got a good a little bit of traction out of the whole parent relay thing, what I call the parent relay, which is the ball being passed from one player to the other but being directed by the parents, each parent directing the player, his or her, her child, where they wanted the ball to be played. So the, the parents end up playing the game, you know, for the kids, rather than the kids making decisions themselves. And on mm. top of that, you know, that, that's bad enough. But the problem is, although the parents think that they're helping, because the coach may be telling them one thing and the parents are shouting something else, well, he, it's the classic scenario of get rid of it. You know, the, all the up and down fields all over the country, you'll hear parents shout, get rid of it. Whereas the coach doesn't want the players to get rid of it. The coach wants the players to control it, to have a look, to be comfortable on the ball and then to use it. So again, it, it comes back to the bigger picture in terms of trying to give players the ability to play the game for themselves. Mm-hmm. So let's get into your new book then. It's it's out next week. What's the idea behind this one? What does it uh, look well, to achieve? Well, you know, in the first book, and uh, I, I, again, simplicity is the message all the time here. We're, we're not, we're not, you know, we spoke about the last time about how everyone's obsessed with the elite level now and elite this and elite that. We're talking, we're talking about simplicity. We're talking about coaching you know, n- not the elite player. Let's let's even use that. I hate that word, but let's... So we're talking about non-elite players. We're talking about grassroots players. So we, we want to try and keep things simple for them. Now, what I did in the first book and what I've done and what I work off all the time, I've developed a, a, a much simpler development plan for football that, than any other ones that I've seen before. It's very, very simple. So it, it goes through the age groups and it... it uh, 
you know, it, it goes through the different stages that the players play on, right? So what I'm actually doing with the book and hopefully the next book and the book after that is just following that plan, okay? Now, in Let the Players Play, we were talking about a stage where the players were first starting to pass to each other, so they were learning to pass, right? So this book is still at the same stage, but what it does, rather than the coaching in the game, it gives you the basic practices to use in that in that phase at the same time as you're working on two on two games three on three games and four on four games you're working on the classic ones i know you i know you played yourself and you know the, the classic rondos as they call them now that everyone has played the five on two the three on one and the four on two and it's really what they call nowadays it's a deep dive into those practices okay so if you're broadly speaking about, um, say, under sixes, is that an age group that you, no, you touch we're, on? No, we're talking here. Yeah. You see, what what we're talking about here is an age where the kids first start to play with, not play with each other, pass with each other, where they first start to combine. Because previous to this phase, it's all about individuals. And again, we spoke about this before. It's all about the development of the individual. So this phase that we're talking about now you know, when you're talking about kids and when you're talking about age groups, it's very, very difficult to pin it down, you know, because a very, very good under nine player can probably do what your average under 11 player can do, your average club player can do. So it's very difficult to pin it down to age groups. But we're talking now about probably, in my experience, probably between the ages of under 10 and under 12. Okay. And what are you starting to learn at that age group then what what would you be looking to advance at that point but build it build and possession build and passes so really that's it's as simple as that you know I, I i laugh when i see all these practices up on the internet for under 10 teams and stuff like that i think the average grassroots coach will be very very happy at the end of the under 10 seasons if his team who play in red if his players were passing to a player in a red shirt, I think they would be very, very happy with that. And I know that I would be very happy with that. So we're talking about giving the players the ability to link up right from the very, very bottom. Again, we're, we're building up then into the next phase, which which will obviously involve a little bit more, a little bit more complicated stuff. Yeah. I have a nephew who is six and a half coming seven this year and, I think a, a lot of the time we misinterpret or misremember where we were at at that almost. age and we, we almost put ourselves in their shoes and think that we were dribbling and passing and everything at that age. And I was at one of his underage games and there was two kids just hugging for most of the game. <laughs> there was another guy heading over holding hands with his dad at the sideline. You know, it's very hard to keep kids of that age group concentrated on on what they're supposed to be doing and focused. So if you're if you're talking about say under tens and how are you developing them from from the age where they're just introduced to the game, just getting used to their surroundings, to being part of a team? You see, it it, it comes down to the psychology uh, of the child and the age and the developmental age of the child, and because when they're reaching that, when initially, see your nephew who's playing under six or under seven, right? essentially the way kids are made, the way we're all made is at that age, really all you can see is yourself. You're not capable of seeing anything else. And there's not, absolutely nothing wrong with that, you know? So 
as they start getting older and they start getting to the later years in, in primary school, around nine and ten, what's happening is they're being asked to look away from themselves a bit more. They're asked to be less selfish. They're asked to consider other people. And, you know, sport reflects exactly what's happening in the rest of their lives. So because they're at, you know, they're at an age where they're, they're, they're thinking less about themselves and more about each other's, it's only then that they're ready to start thinking about passing to someone else. You know, and it's again, I think we spoke about this before. This is the classic scenario of the under six coach pulling his hair out or her hair out on the sideline because our players aren't passing. But, you know, they're not psychologically ready to pass at that stage. You know, it's not the game. And it brings us back to what we've always said every time I've spoken to you. You know, adults have a picture in their head of what football looks like, but it's the adult game that they have. They need to accept that the, the game that the kids are playing at a younger age is not the same game as the adults are playing. So you can't impose this type of play on young kids. All you can walk, it's, it's the old story. You can only walk with the material that you have. And the material that you have at the youngest ages is young players, or even I'm a little bit reluctant to even call them players at that age, who only see themselves and only see themselves at the ball. Only see the ball as well, sorry. And if you're lucky, like I think we said the last time, they might see the goal at the other end of the field, which, you know, and we know the scenario where they, they go to the wrong goal. They don't know the goal. So, you know, we're talking here, we're talking about the next stage after that, where they start to look for each other and then they start they start to combine and they start to think more of the team and themselves. So the process the process is outlined in the books. Mm-hmm. And what what sort of drills then would you be asking coaches to to do with these kids now at that age? No drills then. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> no drills. Right. Now look, I'm being a little bit pedantic there because I know the games that I'm talking about, what I call small you know, I call them numbers up games. Everyone calls them rondos now, right? But I don't call them drills. To me, a drill is an unopposed practice. Right, you know, so I talk, I call them I call them games. So I want the kids, other than the very very weakest kids who need to get out with a ball and they need to get out and bang it against the wall a thousand times to be able to kick the ball. Right, other than those kids, to be in some sort of activity where there are def- at least one defender against them, so they have to make a decision. That's the important thing. So the thing about drills is. The coach has already written down in his notebook before he's gone what the players are going to do on that drill. So in other words, my way of looking at it is that coach has made the decision for the player. And that's exactly the opposite of what I'm looking for. Okay, so essentially, if you want to expand on that, it's instead of saying laying out five cones, saying this guy's passing to that guy who passes yeah. to this guy who passes there, you're saying make the player make the own decision on there has to be a defender against them there has to be a defender against them you know and look and i say i say it in the new book i don't care if that's 10 against one or 11 against one as long as there there is a decision to be made about where when and where that they play the ball so that's the first that's the first basic decision that they've got to come up against now the thing about it is if they've done all the work in the previous phases on their individual skill, they will have the touch already to be able to play passes. So, you know, you mightn't have to go the 10-on-1 route, right? 
you know, the, 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 the initial practice that I start with is five on two. And again, the reason I start in five on two is because I think if they've gone through the phase before that and have done the proper stuff before that, they'll be able for five on two. Mm-hmm. So how do you make something like this fun for a kid that age? It is fun because there's a there's a there's a fella in the middle and we're trying to get him him or her to run around and we're trying to make him look silly and we're trying to get the ball between his legs and it it is fun it's like it's like in Dublin years ago you know I know they're called rondos now but that was called a game of gilly you know the fella in the middle was the gilly so, yeah so that that was the game was to try and keep the ball away and I look. You've done it yourself. Like all human, I think all human beings enjoy playing that type of game. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it, like piggy, it piggy is, in the middle. I say this in the book. It's the football version of piggy in the middle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the first thing that came to my mind for it. Yeah. Um. So where where do the coaches come in here? Then how do you get this message across to to different coaches around the country as as something that uh, could be added into their plan? I know you might find this hard to believe, Ender, right? But this is not; these are not new ideas, right? We were we were promoting these ideas when I worked in, in the FEI. I started working. I think I did my first coaching course as a tutor. I think nineteen eighty seven, right? So, and we've we've been propagating uh, like people like myself, like Morris, Morris Price, I'm sure you've heard of Morris Price, who sadly mm-hmm. died this year, who in my mind was the best coach we've ever had in this country. Right, Jimmy McDermott, you know, people like that. This has been the message a long time. Right? It, this, is not, this is not something new. Like, and again, it, to you, again, to use a, a modern term, it's not rocket science. Develop the individual before you develop the team. And that's basically the idea that we're, we're putting across, you know? Yeah, I guess the idea or the the problem that you might come up against is the modern idea of what coaching should be, and what and you get almost the the pound shop Pep Guardiola's down on yeah, the yeah. the park pitches at the weekends with uh, an under ten teams playing yeah. a diamond or playing a, a four through three or the different formations and all this here. So, I, how do you get the message across to those people? I, You've I got to buy the books and. <laughs> yeah, but that that's the start. Look, I know there are a lot I you know people we spoke about this before. The internet has a, an awful lot to answer for. The internet is fantastic in ter- in terms of the amount of knowledge you, you can get on the game, right? But uh, there's a flip side to that in in as much like you said, there's guys managing under nine division 3 Z teams and they they are trying to do Manchester City drills that they saw on YouTube, you know. So, you know, the message, the message all the time for for these coaches, for grassroots coaches, is is simplicity. Their job is to make the game simple for players and stuff like you're doing here, your your program, you know, pe- people talking. And again, there is a lot of good information on the internet as well, where people are saying the same thing. But simplicity is the key when you're working with young players, and unfortunately. Mm-hmm. People, people seem to think that the more complex a, a, a pattern is, the better it is and the more likely it is to work. But unfortunately, it's not going to work. It's not going to work because, it, again, it's too complex for the players who are trying to work it. 
Yeah. Yeah, we, we were having a conversation in the office the other day about Roy Keane and his punditry and some people were crit- criticizing him because he didn't ever go into the tactical side of things, whereas he, he kind of just talks about the work rate and the basics and the passing and things like that. But my argument was that you can't have any of the tactical stuff without the basics that comes with it. You can't play Manchester City football without being incredibly hardworking and incredibly good at passing and moving. And I suppose that's that's a ways away from what you're talking about in the book. But essentially, if you want to develop a player into a good team player, he needs to know how to do the very basics of the game very well as well. Yeah, look, exactly what you said is right. You, you can't do the complex stuff until you can do the simple stuff. But But that's how everything works. Right, you move from the simple to the complex. Now, who's going to end up playing the Manchester City type stuff? It's only the very, very best. It's only the guys who are going to go and play for Manchester City. And I know you'd have the figures better than I'd have in terms of what percentage of the amount of players who are playing that is. So Mm -hmm. that tiny percentage, everyone is shaping, well, not everyone, but a huge amount of people now are shaping the way they approach young children in, you know, in relation to what those guys are getting, what training those guys are getting, but those guys literally are in a different football world than you and I are. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's less than one percent, I think. Make yeah, it of course it is. Professional football from that's from the academies. That's not even just making it to the yeah, and and their guys so. and and their guys who are training full time, you know, yeah, and are getting yeah. the best of everything, and still it's less than one percent. You know, so yeah. it's um. Look, if 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 coaches could just realise that at that level it's not the same game, at that level it is simple, right? If you at the at the at grassroots level, if you can get your players passing well, moving for each other well, in very very in you know in a very very simple straightforward way, you will be successful. Mm-hmm. Because the defending, but, but and I know we 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 don't speak about defending very much, but the defending of the guys that you're playing against isn't going to be fantastic either, you know. So it's not it's relatively well. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not as difficult as people think. If you can get people passing and moving quickly and passing moving early and passing and moving very very simply, you will break down the opposition defenses at the level that we're talking about. Yeah, Larry. You mentioned that you were in the game a long time, so we might talk about the development and coaching since you, you started, but we do have to take a quick break and uh, we'll dive into that and maybe talk about young Liam Scales, who I know you know very well as well. So stay with us on Team 33. We'll be back just after this short break. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. <laughs> Maybe it sounds like, I sound like Peter Griffin. <laughs> OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Now you're welcome back to Team 33 and a call here with you up until about 10 o'clock this evening. And I'm joined on the line by Larry Mahoney, author of Let the Players Play and a coach who's trying to get a message of simplicity across to the coaches of Ireland, which we've spoken about in the uh, the first half of the show. If you want to get that on the podcast, it's available on the OTB Sports app now. Larry, you mentioned before the break how long you've been involved in football in, in coaching in Ireland. Um, 
and it's 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 a long time and you've yeah. probably seen a lot of different uh, trends come and go throughout those years so we might talk about coaching in general in Ireland, how that's shaped and how it's changed over the, the the number of years that you've been working in it. So I guess take us back to the start um, from when, when you were coaching and, and what you yeah, were doing. Yeah, I've sort of always coached. And I, I, I believe that for some people, and I'm, unfortunately I'm one of them, they have the coaching bug and they need, they just have that desire to go and probably just tell people what to do is, is how it originally starts, you know. Well, you know, right from the very start, I played for St. Joseph's, who is a name of a club that would be uh, really well known. But when we, when, when you, in my time, when you got to under 13, you were asked to take a team in what now would be called the academy, but just plainly and simply was called the Saturday morning league then. So I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm next year, and I don't really want to give away my age, but next year I'll literally be 50 years coaching. Right. Yeah. So look, not very good at math in my head there. So no, I'm, no, right. I'm okay, I'm not very good. At it. That's two of us. But anyway, the um, but because I am that age, right? I started coaching in an era where the prevalent approach to coaching was against it. <laughs> Most people were against coaching at that point, and. We suffer in our football from our proximity to our near neighbours across the pond, right? Because we would have had a very British approach to that. And I know you spoke about this in in other, uh, I, I heard you speaking in some of your other Team 33 programmes about the uh, the sort of anti-coaching and the anti-intellectual approach that was around at one time and how that's changed now. And that's the way it's been. That's the way I've seen it develop. From now, we have a situation where everyone believes in coaching. Everyone believes in coaching, and everyone's a coach now, right? And and I, and I know I said this to you before. Everyone knows about the low block, and they know about the inverted fullbacks, and they know about they, that used to only be coaching talk, right? So, you know, stuff on on a very very basic level. I remember a stage where we were trying to get people to play out from the back, right? And we used to have huge opposition from the guys that were on the coaching courses. Well, you couldn't do that. It's too risky. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do the other. Now it's gone, in my view, it's gone the opposite direction now where people have forgotten why they built up for the back because the original, well, not the original, but the real, the the thinking behind building up from the back always was, if we build up carefully from the back, we we can supply our front players with good quality service. And, I think people have forgotten that now that we've gone a little bit too far in terms of the possession and keeping possession for the sake of it, you know, and that's just one way that coaching has changed here now. And everyone, like, I don't think there's any club in the country now that would be anti, would have people who say, oh, you can't, you can't coach, you shouldn't coach. Everyone believes in coaching now. It's, It's a matter now of making sure that the coaching is of good quality. And, you know, and like I said, because everyone believes in coaching now, everyone's looking at YouTube and everyone is going a little bit mad on the whole thing. Whereas again, once again, I would have to say it has to be some simplicity has to be the message, you know? And if, if your players develop, if you do all the work with your players, and this is what I was saying about a development plan and, and knowing where you're going and knowing where you are on the development model, Right. If you do all that work with your players, 
the proper work with your players at the individual individual level, the young ages, and then you come to the stage that we're talking about. There's a stage after that and a stage after that. Whereas if the players do all the work, by the time they get to 16 or 18, they will be doing stuff. They will be doing it more complicated, more complicated, more complex stuff. Okay, but you know, it's great. I I think it's great. I think it's great now that everyone is into coaching. <laughs> yeah. So when did you when did you find the tide turning? I guess with the idea of coaching and the benefits of it, and almost the stages in an Irish coaching where it's it's hard to put an exact date on it but maybe i would say like i would say by the turn of the century it's that's a strange term to use in the the turn of the century but i I would think around that by that time an awful lot of people had done coaching courses in there you know and people say people say that you know oh there's nothing being done there was work being done there was an awful lot of work being done there were literally thousands of coaches being being um being qualified every year now they wouldn't obviously the coaching is the same as playing not everyone gets to the top level not everyone becomes a UEFA licensed coach but there were an awful lot of coaches who came out of the coaching courses with a much much better idea of how people should play or how not so much how people should play, but how young players should be taught. So that was mm-hmm. important, you know. I th- I think it was reflected as well. I think one of the things that happened then was there was a time with all the international teams, when I say international teams, the under 15s and 16s and youth teams, where there wasn't a great representation from all around the country. There were Cork players and there were Dublin players. And I might have been the odd one from 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 your neck of the woods up in Donegal and stuff like that. But I I think over my time I saw that change that there was an awful lot more representation from the um, from the provinces, which again backs up the my belief that the word was spreading that that people were learning to coach better as as uh, as the years wore on. There, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the the spread around Ireland is quite an interesting one because I guess if you're looking at the team now, there's there's a large spread um, of of players throughout the country, whereas previously it would have been largely dominated by Leinster and and yeah. Cork, like you said. Yeah. If you're talking about a, someone who wanted to go into coaching now, um, what would be your number one piece of advice for them in terms of? Okay, this is the advice I always give coaches, and uh, right when people are starting to coach. You 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 have two sort of beginners. You you have the parent who gets roped in, and we've probably spoken a lot about him, right? But what we've got now, right? We've always had ambitious young young people who want to coach and want to get on and want to and can't wait to get on and get to their A license, right? And and I think this has been been amplified now by the national under league underage leagues now that like there's an under 14 there's an under 17 there's an under 19 team there now to be coached so people can say I'm a coach in the National League so there's an awful lot of of ambitious coaches young coaches now what I say to them is you know and I know we've spoken about this before patience is something that is not is not uh, a strength of young people when they're starting off but they need to be patient because when I first started off, I thought I knew everything. 
and it's only now that I know that how very little I know, right? So my advice to someone who wants to be a coach, who, who actually wants to coach and wants to become a, a really, really good coach is to go through the phases. And again, this is, this is not what young people want to hear, but it's to go through the phases. So when you do your first co- coaching course, the first coaching course is designed for coaches who are coaching at whatever it is now. I don't know. I don't know what it is in new money. There's so many. The, the FAI have so many now. I've lost track of them. There's a PDF and then PCP and all of these. I, 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 I know I should be ashamed to say it, but I've lost track of what the coaching courses were then. Again, simplicity. It was a lot simpler when I was there. But sorry to get away from the, the point. So if you're starting off coaching, start with the youngest players. So when you do your first coaching course, for, it's for under eights to under 10, say, you know. So because the stuff you've done on your course then relates directly back to the players that you're working with. Now, if you do all the good work with those players from eight to 10, right, go on your next coaching course, which is for players from 10 to 12, right? So then, you're, again, you're doing the same work and you're getting two years experience before you go to your next coaching course. And so on and so on. So when you go to to your under the, the which probably if you've done all the other stuff with your players, you might be sort of talking about the UEFA B license now. So you can do that type of work with your players. So you gain experience at that level of working on the principles of play, and you know, movement, good movement, good quality movement, and how to defend against it. So you're up to under fourteen now. You've done six years coaching. Right. So so now you go and do your A license when your players are 16. But because you've done all the other work with the players and they've come along with you and they've learned all that stuff, you should be able to do A license stuff with those players. But it'll be your seventh and eighth year of coaching. But yeah. you, so you should go. It, 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 my advice to anyone who wants to start and really wants to be a coach, because not, not everyone who goes on coaches courses actually want to be a coach a lot of people who go on coaching courses want just want to know what to do with their son's team or their daughter's team and they, they have no ambitions they have coaching badges but I'm, I'm sort of talking about the guys now that we spoke about earlier who want to go be coaches so that would be my advice and no fella or no girl at 18 or 19 or 20 years of age wants to hear me saying right you've got to do eight years of learning but that's yeah. to me. That is the advice I would give those coaches. And ju- just on those people who actually don't want to be coaches, I know you'd have to do certain, you know, uh, like first aid and safety things and guard vetting and things like that before you actually can coach a team. But would somebody who's coaching their sons or daughters team necessarily have to do coaching badges? To do coaching was is that something that you would recommend? Well, or is yeah, that- really, what you're saying, they'll have to do the guard vetting and stuff like that. No, I don't think so. And and you, you see this debate coming up again on the internet all the time. You know, you don't have to be qualified to be a great. You don't know. You don't have to be. I'm a, I, I have a team that's won all my matches. I've never done a coaching course. You, that's, a, that's a debate that's been going on since I started coaching, you know. But I would recommend people to go on the coaches because what, on the coaching courses, because what you get on the coaching courses is the very, very basics of how to organize your sessions. You know, I have to make sure that you you don't have to be a great coach to give you to give your players 
number one, an enjoyable experience, and number two, an experience where they will learn. So if I set my practices up properly and, and my organization is good, I don't have to be Jurgen Klopp to put on good sessions that my players are going to, are going to, uh, are going to learn from. And again, from a common sense point of view as well, you, you, again, it, it, it stands to reason, it's only logical that that parent who doesn't really want to be a coach is probably not working in Shamrock Rovers Academy or isn't going to be end up working in Liverpool's Academy. So that guy who ends up coaching his, his own team, his own child's team, will be very much working at the grassroots. So just before we finish up then, Larry, fascinating stuff as always. Um, you're familiar with uh, a young Celtic player, Liam Scales. Who, yeah, I, know I, know you're Celtic. Like, I know you're a Celtic man. Yeah. Isn't it? I know you're a Celtic People, man. Anybody, anybody who listens to this show will know that I'm a Celtic yeah, supporter. So I, I, I make no bones about it. Um, very exciting for, I, I guess, League of Ireland fans watching Liam Scales go over and make it into the, the Celtic team and, and develop as a player. So what's your experience with Liam um, have you coached him underage? Yeah, I had Liam from under nine to under thirteen, so he he started with me more or less, you know. And look, as a young kid, he was he was obviously he was outstanding. Believe it or believe it or not, he was a pure outside left. Then he played he played as a wide attacking player. He was a dribbler for me. He um. He, he, but he was always, always a very, very intelligent young fellow. Like, I can remember at under 10, and of course, it's easy to say this now, but I can remember at under 10, Liam being able to pick out, I think probably, I, I could be wrong, it could have been seven aside. I thought, I think it, maybe it was seven aside, it might have been nine aside, but I can specifically remember Liam being able to pick out the right-hand side of the field from the outside left position. You know, to be able to hit hit people on the other side of the field, and number one, obviously, to have the technical ability to do that, but to to have the vision away from himself that he could do that, and I, and I remember that, and I remember people talk. You know, the way people talk about kids, I I, I can again, again, it's easy to say it now, but I, Liam's dad, Ricky, would back me up on this one. I remember Ricky saying to me, "What do you think? You think he has a chance?" I think he has a chance, he says, and I said, well, yes, he, de- he definitely has a chance because he, he, like I said, he wasn't just skillful, right? He was skillful. He was very athletic. I, you know, he, one thing that no one seems to talk about him as well, he, Liam is fantastic. Liam is a fantastic header of the ball. And because people don't head the ball as much anymore, I don't think people have probably picked up on that, you know? Liam, mm. Liam even at a young age, was, was fantastic in the air. You know, so he, so he has all that ability, right? But, and <laughs> we're getting a sense of deja vu here because you asked me about Roy Keane and I'm sort of going to give you the same answer that I gave about Roy Keane, right? My reading of Liam is that he can he was always going to st- be able to step up, right? He was always, a, and I know we said this about Roy Keane, that that was my reading of Roy Keane, that, he went from one team, one level to the next level, to the next level, to the next level, and he just played. And I know, look, I don't want to compare Liam to Roy Keane or anything like that, but that's what I see in him. I see the ability for him. I, I, like, again, I would have spoken to his dad over the years and that, like that, you know, and when he, when he went to UCD, 
I was saying to his dad, look, he'll do great there, you know. And then when he went to Rovers, I remember saying to his dad, he'll do great there, you know. And uh, and I think the same. I think I said it to uh, you know, uh, I think he'll do fantastic at Celtic as well. I, yeah. I watched the match and uh, it was St. Johnson, wasn't it, where he played. He played for 85 minutes. Why your man took him off for the last five minutes, or I don't know, you know. But he played really, really well. He got some really good crosses. And, and I know I know they weren't too pushed. But believe it or believe it not, he, he played really well. My impression after the game, or my impression of that game, was that he was playing within himself. <laughs> I, was, I was sort of saying to myself, come on, Liam, you can do a bit more than this, you know. You, you can do even better than this. Because, again, I think he's one of those young lads that has the ability just to make that step into the next level each time that he's asked to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, argument between Celtic fans at the minute is whether or not he's a left-back or a centre-back. So I'm going to use this as definitive proof that he's a left-sided player before he is a a, a centre-defensive centre player. Like I player. said, I only had him up to under 14 and then he played... I went down to watch him with the um, school's international team. He played in, in Arkla, where he's from. Play for the skill, and I just couldn't believe he was playing centre half. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, like because this this skillful, tricky winger that I had was playing centre half. You know, so to me, to me, and again, again, I don't want to really make this this comparison. To me, Liam Scales playing centre back is it. It does remind me of the, those few times where Roy Keane was asked to play centre back, and it, it, it looks too easy for him. You know. Mm-hmm. To me, that's it. Yeah. I think, I think, I honestly think the further up the field you can get him, the better, you know. I, I, I'd still see, I, I'd love to see him playing as an outside left still. And I think, right. he could, I think he could still do it. In the in the Celtic match that I saw, I, I think he would well, have he's been... he's playing quite forward the, in that as well. Yeah, I think he would have been the player on the team. Now, I'm not one for stats, but I think he would have been the player on the team who got the most crosses in in that game. Mm. So listen, before we finish up, like that must be an amazing feeling as a coach who's yeah. you know seeing yeah, this guy as a great. kid, and like, I guess that's the ultimate dream for any coaches to see them yeah. develop into this. And again, I wouldn't take too much credit because I only had him up to under fourteen. So all those steps that he took after that, and he uh, he took on his own. It, it wasn't under my influence that he did that, you know. Mm. But what I would what I would be very proud of, I know the type of guy he is, he would have learned how to practice properly and he would have learned how to look after himself properly and he would have, and he, he would have learned, well, he would have learned the basis of the game with us, you know. That was a very good yeah. team that he, that he was on too. Well, listen, he's doing, uh, doing some great stuff at Celtic. Larry, it's been a pleasure chatting to you as, as always and sure, when, when book three and four and five and six and, can I just get a plug right, in and for the book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, the, the first book was Let the Players Play. The, this book is, is Move the Ball. And you can get it at bigpicturecoachingireland.com. Okay, perfect. And I'll, I'll post the link uh, like I did Brilliant. last time uh, for people to get the book. Larry, uh, thanks for joining me on the show this evening. Thanks, Anna. Pleasure. Okay, so that is us done on this week's Team 33. Thanks as ever to you for listening. If you want to listen back to that show or the previous podcast, with Larry Mahoney about his first book, Let the Players Play, 
It's all available in the OTB Sports app now in the podcast section. Just search Team 33. You can subscribe there as well if you want to get notified every time a Team 33 podcast goes live. That video is also available on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash off the balls, where you can get all the Team 33 episodes as well as the rest of the off the ball material. That is us done on this week's Team 33. Back again in the same time, same place next week. But until then, Iowa, Slango Foil. Take away, Johan. Oh!